All right. So we have been working on the book of John. And here is what we're looking for with the book of John. Book of John. We are looking for God's perspective. As we go through this, as we look at mankind, or imagine ourselves to be sitting up in heaven as God, okay? Or sitting wherever God exists, which is everywhere, right? And seeing everything about mankind, he looks and he makes a judgment and he has a thought about this world, this world of fallen people. And he's got a plan behind it. And the book of John really uncovers that plan and the thoughts that God has. Now, it's not that the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke don't have those things in some fashion, but John's sole purpose is to say, I want you to know about God's perspective. All right? And so we begin where we look at the Word. You remember that? A concept, a thought, okay? How do we communicate? And then we looked at, well, also with that was light, okay? And light illuminates darkness. That sounds pretty obvious, right? But we all experience light. And we all experience words, right? That's how we communicate. God didn't come down and say, I've got this whole new way to communicate things. Um, I've got a separate language and I'm going to, and I'm going to put that separate language down there. He said, I'm going to come into the world and put it in mankind's language. So when is the best time to do that? Think about early history of man. Think about the Middle Ages. Think about ancient empires. Think about modern day. When was the best time for God's message to come and hit the earth? Every day. Yeah, but when did he... <laughs> so when did Jesus come? I'll give you that clue. The middle. The middle and why in the middle? Why not in the beginning? Because created. No. But he gives people time. Like he had to create examples. Okay, so he he did create examples, which is a good thing that he put in there. He had a choice from day one. Every human had a choice from day one. But why wait till then? Because the world was starting to plunge into sin. Okay. World had plunged into sin three or four times already so deep that he had to destroy it once, okay? So that could have been way early. Hmm. When you talk about some of the things that happened, you remember the four ancient kingdoms, we're actually doing the book of Daniel, and this is helpful to think about this, 
Babylon was the big ancient kingdom. And what was impressive about Babylon? Hanging gardens, the old gold. city of gold. How big their people were? Uh, they, they, they had unique people, definitely, and they had very smart people. But what was the, what did Nebuchadnezzar do first that nobody else did first? Conquer the world. Okay? He conquered the known world. Okay? And so he came, and one of them that we learn about is the Jewish nation. All right? And then who is next in the... The Persians and the Medes. And what is important about the Persians or the Medes? Okay, they also conquered the world, yes. But now we've already done that. What do they start to bring? Because they, <laughs> because they make sandals. No, not sandals. But Jesus they, wore sandals. Many of the things... I don't know. <laughs> yes, he did, actually. We know because it says. Um, one of the things that they brought, that started to bring, was culture that unified. Okay? They started to bring culture unification. And so we have a conquered world, and then we start this culture because... You have parts and pieces of your language, okay? The, the Persian uh, alphabet, I believe, was one of the first sets of alphabetical characters that, that is similar or is the idea that we start to get these things, so they write things down. The Persians write things down. And then along comes who? Greece. Greece. The Greeks, and what are they famous for? Bronze. Bronze and strong. Olympics. They're why are they smart? Why are they smart? Now he, here's an interesting thing. Alexander the Great goes around and takes over the world, right? What does he leave behind? How do you know he took over the world? Uh, he left Greek culture everywhere, the story he, of Bosnia and everything. He, he left Greek culture everywhere, and with Greek culture... Food! Not food. He left the People language. People talk about it. Well, the language. Greek language. Right? <laughs> and yes, they talk about the Greek language, okay? <laughs> the Greeks bring Greek. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? All right. And why is that important? Because the world begins to write. Now, you see it as a progression here, but they begin to write things down. The Greeks say, we're unifying. All of you speak Greek. You all write Greek and speak Greek. All right. And so when we get to the last one, which is what? The big famous one, Rome. What do they do? They take over half the world. They take over actually a bigger portion than anybody else in the past. But what's important about what they do? When they take it over, how do they take it over? They're famous. They have a lot of spears. The short swords, right? They're famous because they bring their army. And what do they do with it? 
They kill. They take over. No, they have their short swords and that's pretty much, they just have a really strong army. They come through and they leave soldiers behind. Okay. Why are they leaving soldiers behind? To keep the place in check. You're going to keep the places in check. You're going to guard the places. And what are they famous for? There is a famous phrase. All roads lead to And so what did they build? Roads! Roads! Wow, okay. So now we have roads. And what we really have is unrestricted travel. Unrestricted travel. First time in mankind's history where you don't walk up to the next city and it's under some other little king's domain. Some king owns this city and you only pass through that city if you're okay with that king. By the time Rome comes along, they have held you all by the sword and you may go, why are you going to Rome? All roads lead to Rome because that's where we want all the money to go, right? All the money, all the trading, everything goes through Rome. Rome becomes the center of the world at that time, or so they acted like. So why is this important? And at the time of Rome, what language do they speak? Greek and Latin. Greek really is their common language still. Isn't that funny that Latin was their language and it died, but Greek didn't? So what does God do? God puts Jesus in the center of this Roman Empire. And why are there soldiers all over the place? Because Jerusalem and all of Israel is occupied by Rome, right? Soldiers. Drop them in. We drop in Roman governors. Drop in Roman soldiers. We keep the peace. And those, those pesky Israelites always trying to raise up an army or raise up some, a rebellion. So we got to keep them down. So right in the center of that world, God says, I put my son Jesus right in there. And his purpose is? To save the world. To save the world. Save yes. And how is he going to do it? To die on the cross and rise from the grave. And how far is he going to tell everybody? Everybody. No. He never leaves 50, 60 miles from his birthplace. So who tells everybody that about what happened? Scars. People who know him. Paul. Paul and the other disciples. And where do they go? Everywhere. Everywhere that all the roads lead, which is all over the world. And how do they speak to all these foreign people? Oh, look at that. Everybody already speaks that language. Imagine that. Maybe God had a plan for that. A unified world at some, even through the point of a sword, and Jesus is just one guy in the center of this Roman Empire, this great big imperial empire, holding everything all together, right, by the point of a sword, and God says, I'm going to put my church in there, and people are going to be able to travel. And how does Paul end up getting all the way to Rome? He appeals to the sea, to Caesar as the Roman government. And that's how he spreads the gospel all the way up into Italy. And they believe up further. 
he gets up into Spain, and it gets all the way into Europe, and they get all the way over into India, okay? And so, all the way down into Africa, because Africa is part of the Roman Empire at the time. And so, that God using that mankind's work, I guess, and says, here's the plan. I know what's going to happen. I know every little piece of it, and here's when Jesus is going to come in there because you're going to spread all of that through everywhere. And that's how we see the book of John. The book of John was written in what language? German. Greek. Greek. And as were all of the New Testament books, okay? Written in Greek, spread around the world by... Oh, a bunch of disciples and apostles and all sorts of followers that all came from Jerusalem at the very time in which God said that's the right time. Now, yes, there are things that people are to learn. And yes, people are supposed to get the point of what God is trying to teach through sacrifices and through all sorts of different things that God does through the Old Testament. But what we find is when Jesus comes, he has to take the religious leaders as they understand it and change it. So he comes in, he gets baptized by John the Baptist. We talked about him. He leads the way and opens, and, and then God gives Jesus authority. And how does God give Jesus, uh, Jesus authority when he's baptized? The light comes down, and the dove, and his voice, and what's he say? He does not sing, no. <laughs> he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And if you didn't get that, I'm going to tell you myself. This is him. I'm giving him the authority. And the whole crowd heard it. All right? The whole crowd heard it as Jesus is there beginning his ministry and God the Father looks down and says, this is the guy. This is the guy. And so does John the Baptist. Says, he is the Lamb of God. He is the one. All right. So we looked at that. We looked at the, the salvation as a new concept of rebirth. Okay, being born again with Nicodemus. Jesus talks about that and that you cannot live the way you've always lived. You cannot be the thing you've always been. You need to start over fresh. And then last week we talked about the woman at the well. And that was living water. Okay, so we had the living water. And now this week, we are starting something new, all right? We are starting in John chapter 6. From God's perspective, I want to start to look at this. Now, you've probably read this story or heard this story lots of times, but from God's perspective, we want to look at this. So we're going to read through the first part of the chapter, verses 1 through 15 in chapter 6 of the book of John. 1 through 15, we'll read right through it. Go. After this,
these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is in the Sea of Tiberias. Verse 2, chapter 6 of the book of John. He placed three meters over them. No, I think. Chapter 6. Of the book of John. Okay. Pick it up, Phoebe, and then we'll... At two? Yep, at two, and we'll get right around. We'll keep going. And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were deceased. Jesus went up into the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover of feast of Jews was nigh. When Jesus then looked up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And he's and he said to prove and this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred ten worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take away. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's mother, stand to him. There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Verse ten. Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they were. When they were filled, he said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over the above unto them at that they had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is a this is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. But Jesus knew that they planned to come and force him to be their king. So he went away again to a mountain by himself. All right. From God's perspective, we're looking at this. You've, you've heard of the loaves and the fishes, right? Here we are. We just read the miracle. There were five loaves and two fishes. What is the first question that Jesus asks the disciples? Where are we going to get Where are we going to get the food? So, does Jesus know? In fact, it says, he says, he already knew this. So why was he doing it? To, to test their thoughts and their ideas. His plan was always to feed these people. He knew he needed to feed these people, and he was going to do it. So what was the point of asking the question though to the disciples? To test them. To see if they were trusted. Trust. There's there's a, a good word to start with. He's going to look for, can you trust me? Or, where will it come from? All right. Where will this come from? 
and and one decided, oh, it would be 200 pennyworth. That was a whole year's wages. We couldn't feed all these people. There's 5,000 people here. We couldn't feed them on that. And the other one says, well, we've got these five loaves and two fishes, but who cares? So was it Jesus' plan always to use the five loaves and two fishes? Well, he knew. Of course he did. Could he have done it without the five loaves and two fishes? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Could have made it appear. Okay. So <laughs> he could have, yes, broken the laws of physics. Yes. And if you're God, you can do that. So from God's view, why the bread? Why the fish? Why the bread? Okay, but you're not there yet, so they don't know what that means. Well, <laughs> they, they do, but do you know what that means? And that's, we'll get there eventually. Why, why does the bread of life, why pick that from God's perspective? Why pick bread? Because it's a big food. Like, you you need food. What is common about words and water and light and bread? There is not a human on earth that doesn't need it. There's nobody that has exception to this. Could you imagine if someone just spent their entire life in darkness? We talked about that. You go crazy. People go crazy. And there are people that got lost in caves, and we did talk about that the first time, got lost in a cave and literally died feet away from an entrance that they couldn't see. Couldn't see the light and died of insanity, essentially, because there's something that goes wrong with your head after that. And you see that because in countries and in states like Alaska, where there are huge amounts of darkness for months and months every year, they have very high suicide rates, okay? There is something that humans need and they understand it. There's nothing so beautiful as a sunrise and a sunset. People go all around the world to see sunrises and sunsets. It's the same sun, okay? But they wanna see that. Yeah, well, it depends on it. I was in Norway, and they had... Now, we were there at the good time of the year, but it got it got dark at 11.30 at night and light at 3.30 in the morning. So there's the opposite time of the year where it is dark for 20 hours a day and light for four hours a day. Okay? Oh <laughs> so it is not... It's not a pleasant thing, and that's when people spend lots of time inside carving little things and sewing little things and doing things under some artificial light. Not in the darkness. They, they find artificial light, okay? So bread is one of those things everybody needs. This is why, from God's perspective, as he's looking down, he's saying these are basic human functions and needs. They all can understand.
I don't care which culture you're from. And you can say, well, they don't have bread in Japan. Okay, but they have rice, which is essentially their bread. Okay, they need sustenance. Doesn't Japan's egg called bread pan? Maybe. Either way, each culture understands the need for food. There's not a human out there. I don't care if you are lost out in the wilderness and not attached to any culture. You understand you need food. Okay, so there is that. But that's not what Jesus really is trying to do. He's trying to take that, but that's not what he wants out of it. He wants something else, something more. And how do you know that? Because they, when they saw him make that bread in front of 5,000 people, it just came out. He has a little basket to start with, and in the end, there's 12 full baskets of leftovers after everyone's eaten all they can eat. And they're all sitting around saying, oh, that was the best fish and best bread I've ever eaten in my life. We want him as our king. We're going to sit here. He's going to feed us. This is going to be the greatest ever. All right? And when Jesus knew that, after he had accomplished that miracle, he slipped out and left. And no one could find him. He was gone. All right. So, verse 16, as we pick up the story, because it's not done yet, we need to understand that something next happens. And this is on purpose. This happens. Verse 16 through 21. And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea. And entered into a ship and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to and the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh into the ship, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they willingly received him unto the ship, and immediately the ship was at land, whither they went. Okay. So all in this same chapter, we first have the bread and the loaves, okay? This is an important part, bread and loaves. And what does that teach people? Trust. Where will it come from? Okay, I'm going to say he's going to provide, okay? And they all said, fantastic, he's our king. We love kings that provide us. And Jesus said, nope, I'm gone. Slips out. And he's gone, up into the mountains, it says. His disciples aren't with him. His disciples get in the boat to go back to Capernaum, and they don't know where he is. And all of a sudden, the winds and the waves are out there just going like crazy. I don't even like to be in a boat with the winds and the waves, much less I can think about walking on water that I can't have the ability to do anyways, all right? But Jesus is out. He's walking in the middle of the waves. Oh, there you are, Jesus. They're scared to death. He gets in the boat with them and immediately they're at the shore in safety. It seems like an odd thing. But if you're looking at this holistically, as the whole thing comes together, why the bread and the loaves and now walking on water? There's always a lesson in what Christ does, right? So what is he learning? What is he teaching? And who is he teaching first? 
This time, right, the small group. Before, he taught the big group, right? He taught that 5,000 people, which actually may have been more like 10 or 15,000 people with men and women, but they only counted the man in their head counts, just the way they did it at the time. But it says it in there, 5,000 besides men and women in other accounts, all right? So, big crowd, he's teaching them that. What is he teaching? What is he teaching the disciples here? We've got to get this before we can move on to the next section because this is all tied together. Faith, yes. Now, all of these are faith, aren't they? So, so what was the bread faith like? Describe that faith. I will provide everything that you need. With what? What did he do it with? With God's help. Yeah, I mean, he is God, right? So God's power does it all. But he takes something meager, right? He takes a physical thing fish, bread, tears it apart, and somehow, in front of their eyes, it all becomes something that's not meager anymore. So he extends what little you have. All right, so there's faith in that, right? You, you do that, and you see, and you say, well, I've got a little, and I hope it's going to stretch. And God can make it stretch. There's faith in that. But was that enough lesson to learn for the disciples? Well, the answer is no, because he taught more, right? <laughs> right? That's, that's the obvious thing. He went out to do more, and what did he teach them? He didn't bring more bread. He's stronger than the sea. Stronger than the sea. Is this anything? So, bread is something that touches everybody in their life right? How many of you could ever say to the ocean, make a wave, and it would do what you told it to do? Only if it's already making waves. Already making waves. So it really wouldn't do what you told it to do, it would do what it wanted to do, right? Right. Kind of like a teenager. Don't you know. stop making waves. <laughs> Don't stop making waves, right. Don't so teenagers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty qualified to do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. I mean, I got one. All right. So you're not, yeah. you're only two years old. Alright. So think about this. The bread and the loaves, there's faith in that, right? God has power to take what little there is and do more with it. But when you're talking the the sea, the weather. And what was it? New Newton's Newton's law. Law of law gravity. Physics. Of physics. And also Van der Waals forces and a whole bunch of other physics laws that have come through to say how many of you can walk on water that's not frozen? Zero people. Nobody. Oh, <laughs> but not really. Right? <laughs> 
No humans can walk on water except for Jesus. So Jesus is a 200%. Okay. He is. Yeah. And we probably more. Right? <laughs> so what he is teaching them is this. Not I can do a lot with a little. He is teaching them there is no limit. Can you imagine if one of them tried to walk on water after that? And he Peter did. did. And he did. And? And he said, oh, I'm in trouble. I am in trouble. And he started to sink and Jesus helped him. <laughs> Okay, because Jesus said, come out. You can come out to me. And he got part way and he got scared because what was, what did he miss? Well, he missed the point of there is no limit to God's power. There's no limit. And that was why it was a smaller, we'll call it a personal private miracle. And he was teaching, look, I can do this. I can give you where, you know, where will this come from? That's a lot of times our question. Where will this come from? I am in trouble, God. Where will this come from and help in this situation? And God says, well, I can help you when you have a little, but I can help you without limit. There's no thing on this earth that I can't help you with. No situations too big, no problem too big, all right? So these two lessons are important because next, after they get to shore, there's a follow-up conversation amongst a crowd of people. And this begins to, to, to get even to the point of sounding strange. All right? So let's start off in verse number 22 through 26. As the crowd of people finds him on the other shore and says, how'd you get here? Okay, verse 23 through 26. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Oh, but there came other boats from the rise unto the place where they did eat bread. After that, the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. Verse 25. They found him on the other side of the lake. They asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus, Jesus answered to them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Alright, so they're coming, they figure it out, how did you get across the ocean? There was no ships left, you didn't leave with your disciples, so how'd you get here? Jesus has no answer for that. Because he's not interested in telling them that. That is not, he's not saying, I walked on the water. That's not what he does. He taught what he needed to teach the disciples in the middle of the night. And that's the way God often touches us and talks to us, is in very private ways. He teaches us things that sometimes bring our faith forward in leaps and bounds by just one small word he can bring to us a lot of times, all right? A situation and a word he brings to us. 
But he's saying, why did you come after me? You didn't come because you saw great miracles. You came because you're, you want bread. You liked the bread. <laughs> Truthfully. And there are so many people like that. It is very funny. <clears throat> the way we used to get people to come to mandatory training... It was put food there. I mean, truthfully, it's like, it's mandatory. You might lose your job. And people would be like, yeah, I'm not going to that. But if you have food, I'm coming. <laughs> because people's stomachs speak to them <laughs> a lot of times. And they live off of that. Right? No judgment here. Just a fact in life. All right? It's a fact in life. And so why are you seeking me? Because you wanted bread, but you missed the point. Verse number 27, please. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father seen. Alright, so I'm not telling you, and when he says meat, he means food, okay, by just saying meat. It's an old way to say food in general. He says, don't look for the food that fills your bellies. Look for the food that's eternal. The food that comes from me. All right, from me. Verse number 28. Then said, said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? All right. Here's an interesting thing. So their question is, how do we do the works of God? There have been people from the beginning of time that have tried to do the right thing for God. If I just do enough, I'll get to heaven. And you'll find that in almost every culture and every religion is that there is something that what you might call as salvation by works. All right. How did the ancient Greeks feel that they could satisfy their gods? By enough sacrifices, <coughs> enough good things they did in their life. And not displeasing their gods. Okay? How do they displease them? Well, I do something bad. Alright? You look at any culture, any cult now. You look at the Jehovah's Witnesses of the modern day, today. And how do they feel that they will get into heaven? By knocking on your doors. By knocking on enough doors. Which essentially means if I do enough works... I'll get there. And it drives people to do things. You look at the Vikings of old, right? And what did they believe? What did every good Viking warrior want to go to? Valhalla, okay? Which was the hall of the great warriors. And how did they get there? By killing people. By dying in battle. You have to die in battle. You have to do enough good things. So many of them would kill themselves. So 
so as not to be, so, as, so in a certain way, and if the blood passed through a certain thing, a certain way, there's all these crazy things they do so they could get to Valhalla, all right? All of these thoughts come back to the very same thing. How do I do enough good to be heavenly, to be godly? Here is the key answer. If you get a verse tonight, the next verse is important. What is the works that get you to heaven? Verse number 29. This is Jesus' answer right there. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. That's it. What is it? Believe in Jesus. Believe on the one God has sent. Jesus. Yep, Jesus is the one, and we know that, but believe is your only work. You cannot do enough good to get yourself to heaven. You cannot do enough good to please God. There's never enough. And this is where God says, I am trying to help you understand this. All right? Trying to help you understand this, you are just to believe. Believe in what I say. Believe in me. So there needs a little more explanation to that because believe is kind of this random word. We see it out in uh, Albion on signs, right? Because of uh, the first Santa Claus school there, Charlie. Um, and you see it in, in all kinds of these nice sounding things. But what does believe really mean? Well, it has to be enough to affect you and change you, which we talked about the new birth and light and living water. So you're satisfied with bread. You're satisfied. But what else with the bread? There's something more. All right. Let's pick up at verse number 30, all the way through 40, please. So they asked him, what sign will you give us? What will you do so we can see it and believe? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them the bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is which he cometh down from heaven, and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Verse 35. Um, then Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. 38, please. For I am come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Verse 40. My Father wants all who look to the Son and believe in Him 
to have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. All right. So they all say, well, if you're really this son whom we're supposed to believe in, show us a sign. How do we know? How do we know you're this son? Well, no matter what, these people have chosen not to believe. And Jesus calls them on them. You, you don't believe. But you're telling me about manna. Manna, they, you, they said, well, Moses gave us manna. Jesus said, well, Moses didn't give you manna. God gave you manna every day. And what was manna? Bread, bread crumbs, sort of, yes. Uh, sort of bread flakes. They said sort of like a seed. They could grind it up and make it into this pastry type uh, bread. Manna means what is it? That's what it actually means. What is it? All right, because they went on the ground and said, what is it? And God said, pick it up, grind it up, put it into a bread and eat it. All right? And it will be there when? Every day. And how much are you to gather? No. Just enough for the day. Do not get enough for tomorrow. And what happened if they got enough for tomorrow? It'd be rotten and filled with worms. Every time. Alright? So, and they did it. And they tried. Except when it was the day before Sabbath day, you could take two days full of it so that you could rest on Sabbath day, make enough for the next day. Wouldn't be full of worms, but if the next day you caught it, captured enough for that day and the other day, full of worms, second day, all right? God was showing them you are to do daily bites, enough for today, enough for today, enough for today. That's how you deal with God. Yes, you look at the future. Yes, you have hope and belief. But your desires and your daily work is just enough for today. That's how you get through life. There will be lots of those days where you say, what's coming up this weekend is so terrible and it's so much work and it's so much, or what's coming up this semester is so much work. Today. Do today first. Sometimes today's really bad and you have a lot of things to accomplish. <laughs> to get ready for tomorrow, okay? But each day is what you prepare for each day, one at a time, all right? And Jesus is saying, I am that bread. I'm like that manna. You don't know what I am. What is this, right? I am the bread of life. I give you that, all right? And that sounds all nice, neat, and wrapped up, and that's the way we like to finish it. But there's a whole other section of this conversation. All right? There's a whole other section, and this goes on for quite some time. They don't like the way he says it. They don't believe that what he says is good. But if you pick up at verse number 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. Guess what? That was right from God, but they're dead. Okay? Didn't do them a lot of good for anything beyond their life. And it was fine. It was good bread from God. But there's something better. And he says, This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. 
all right? This is something bigger. So what is that bread? I am the living bread, verse 51. I came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give him is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And you say, oh, that kind of sounds weird. It almost sounds like he said to eat his flesh, but that's not really true, right? Mm -hmm. Except, verse number 52, the Jews therefore strove among themselves and saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, I live by the Father, so he, eateth, he that eateth me, even he shall live by my name. That is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Ah, well that's very strange. You didn't even know that there was uh, cannibalism, right, in the Bible? Now what is that really what that means? Is we supposed to take a chunk of Jesus' flesh and eat it? Yes. No. All right? He means something, but it is very much against their thought. They are, they are repulsed by his words. And many of them, it says, if we were to continue to read on, it says many of the disciples walked away that day and never came back. A lot of the close followers, not the 12, because the 12 were still left behind, but the other followers in which he had groups. He had 5,000 men that day. And it said many of them just left. This is too hard. And the disciples said, he said to the disciples, aren't you going to leave too? And Simon Peter said one of the most incredible things he's ever said, because normally Simon Peter, when he said something, it was mouthing off and he said something dumb. Right? But this time, Simon Peter says, if we leave you, where else would we go? Who else would we go to? There's no one else. You are the one with words of eternal life. We don't understand it, but you're the one. So, here is what I want you to mull on and think about. What does the eating of the flesh and drinking of the blood mean? If you eat something and drink it, you take it in and it becomes a part of you. So what was the blood and the body of Jesus? What did it represent when he sacrificed himself? It represented one great big word. Forgiveness. Uh, <laughs> what is forgiveness? Forgiveness. 
It is the essential thing. If you believe in Christ, if you believe on the Son of Man, like he says you should, your life should be marked by forgiveness in many ways. The first is, yes, I have accepted and asked for forgiveness from Jesus himself for my sins. I believe that he can wash away. Why? Well, because I know there is no limit to his power. I know he can walk me through daily with the bread, make things stretch, do things in my life that no one else can do. All right, I understand those things and I believe in him. But that's number one, ask for forgiveness there too. Number two, when you take it in, it becomes a part of yourself, right? And you begin to use that. And how do you use that? If you cannot forgive others for things, if you find it impossible, you seriously need to examine yourself and your relationship with Christ because it is the core of what someone that believes in the Son of God does and is, is a forgiving person. I'm not saying it's not hard and I'm not saying it's not a very difficult thing, but it is life changing. It's to the point of if you don't eat this and drink this, if you don't take me in to that level where I will stand for another person and forgive them even though they do something against me. If you can't do that, then that is what all of mankind has missed. That's the main goal and portion of the Bible. It talks about that. That's the point. To take him in and have forgiveness come through you. Not just he provides for you, because he does. Not just he does amazing miracles, because he does. But forgiveness was his key to help him understand, help everybody understand, forgiveness makes us who we are. There's a verse that says, God will forgive you as you forgive others. So in as much as you are forgiving to others, is as much as he'll be forgiving to you. That's scary sometimes, but it's reality. And it should be life-changing and altering, so much so that you have to eat it, drink it, get it inside of you to change who you are. Forgiving somebody, even if they did something against you on purpose. And even if they don't care that you forgive them. Because that's what Jesus did to us. That's essentially the core of what Christ did. To forgive when no one cared. Alright? It's a hard lesson. And it's a hard lesson for the disciples. And it's a hard one because a lot of them just walk away and said, We're done. We're not doing this. This is way too much you're asking of us. But it is exactly what Christ talks about. All right. Thank you very much.